We have been looking at Jesus' story. Some call it the story of the prodigal son, but you could make a case that it could be called the story of the older brother, could be the story of the father. I'm going to take us to Luke 15 to read the story again, and then we'll look at the second half predominantly in these moments. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he became to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to be filled in his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But then he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlotry, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and he has begun to live. He was lost, and he has been found. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a huge problem can seem like no problem at all. For example, the car that's passing you at freeway speed 
And yet while under the hood, there's not enough engine oil for the engine. A huge problem that seems to be no problem at all. Or the husband and wife who come to church regularly. They hold each other's hand during the singing. Often cast an adoring look at each other. But all the while, they don't speak to each other Monday through Saturday at home. A huge problem that seems like no problem at all. Or a woman here in Nassau who's dressed in the finest clothing, wearing the most expensive jewelry and wearing the most costly perfume, while all the while her credit cards are maxed out and her bank is in overdraft. A huge problem that seems like no problem at all. Two weeks ago, we considered Jesus, perhaps his best-known and best-loved story. It was the story of a younger son, an older son, and a father. And for fun, we imagined them working in a family business called the Kosher Family Cattle Ranch. Being on that cattle ranch made the accessibility of a young calf very handy for the veal barbecue that's a part of this story, but I guess I better not get ahead of myself. Jesus began his story with the younger son, the younger son who came down with a bad case of selfishness and short-sightedness that infected into shame. You may recall that this younger son came down with what brought him down. And the lesson we learned from his experience was the good news of the story that down can come up. The good news that a foolish problem can be reversed. In the first half of Jesus' story, right before our eyes, The younger son's selfishness and short-sightedness and shame all got marvelously erased, turned around, down, became up. Now, as we come back to the story, we come from down and up to in and out, in and out. Remembering that the younger son teaches us that down can come up and that foolish problem can be reversed, we're ready to move on to the story further to look at in and out. This older brother within Jesus' story, you might say his nickname in high school was Mr. In. He was voted most likely to be into himself for the rest of his life by his classmates. He was an in-man. The older brother was an in-man. He was into himself. He saw all of life coming into him as he understood life, as he thought about life, as he knew life to be. The unexpected thing is that in-living seems pretty good, but it has a dark side. The dark side of in is that in can bottle the person up into him or herself. 
And when that happens, a huge problem can seem like no problem at all. The older son in Jesus' story was all about in. And he appears to be okay when we meet him in the story. Actually, he seems to be better than okay. He seems to be Superman. I mean, he was always about his usual business on the ranch. He did his chores. He had his nose to the grindstone. He worked overtime. Probably he didn't take vacations. And he worked double shifts after his irresponsible younger brother went AWOL. And he was observant. He observed everything that went around him, extremely observant. Nothing missed his notice. He wasn't slack in any way. This in-man rancher was rather impressive, at least from a distance. He could have gone on speaking tours to speak to cattlemen's associations. He was like a good manager of a McDonald's restaurant, heavily involved, pitching in and working long hours, observant of the front door and of the cashiers and of the kitchen, mindful of the bottom line, revenue, expenses, profits. Yes, it would seem, at least from a distance, that this older son had it all together. He was, we thought, impressive. A model son, a beef cattle rancher, committed, tireless, dependable, rock solid. Even his daddy didn't know, working alongside this older son, even his daddy didn't know the poison that was in the older son's heart. Hard ranch work masked the poison. This older son was impressive, but underneath it all, he was the prime example of a huge problem can seem like no problem at all. As an aside, some of us may be able to fool some other people some of the time, but none of us fools God any of the time. This older son's huge problem got exposed when he heard some party music. Verses 25 to 27. Now, His older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And with this point in the story, we find out that all was not at all okay on the kosher family cattle ranch. And ironically, it took dancing to reveal his damning attitude. The older son was an in guy, and in guys can get bottled up like volcanoes 
Bottled up persons are full of burning lava, which hurts others who are in the way. Remember, with in folks, often a huge problem seems to be no problem at all. Verse 28. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. You could say pleading with him. This in son, this older brother, wasn't merely down in the dumps. He wasn't tired. He wasn't discouraged. He wasn't confused. He wasn't having a bad day. He was furious. Lava rock furious. Why? After all, his anger was like a millionaire having a yard sale. What was the point? He had no real reason to be angry. In fact, he had far more reasons to be thankful than angry. I mean, think about it. He'd just been told that his runaway kid brother was safe and sound, having lived homeless in a faraway country. That was good. He had also been told that his younger brother was back intending to work on the ranch again. That was an advantage. It's not hard to figure out that this should have meant that he wouldn't have had to work as many double shifts on the ranch. That was a blessing. And yet the baffling things were that he had good news, but it brought him no grace. It brought him no relief. Instead, he felt rage. He had no praise. Instead, he threw himself a pity party. Let's see, no grace, rage, a pity party. These are the footsteps of an in person, the strides of a bottled up in person. (laughs) That day, there was no fun laughter. There was no reminiscing at the barbecue. There were no selfies taken. Instead, it was an ugly and an embarrassing family moment. The in-man pushed all his family out. The in-man refused to celebrate over a family reunion barbecue. And as the story goes on, We find out why he was so furious. We find what poison was in his heart. Verse 29. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I've been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. The first word that spewed out of his mouth to his father was, look. I think that was very disrespectful. I mean, let's take a poll. Did any of you ever answer your fathers by saying, look? Neither did I. Did the older son forget that he was addressing his father? By the way, On this whole matter of look, exclamation point, have you noticed, especially on American and Canadian TV channels, 
that it's becoming annoyingly common for persons to answer all questions asked of them with an answer that starts with, look. When does crawfish season start? Look, it starts on August 1st. Who was the first pick in the NBA draft? Look, it was the Phoenix Suns who took Bahamian big man DeAndre Ayton from the Arizona Wildcats. What goes into a chocolate cake? Look, milk, flour, chocolate, and sugar. Look becomes the song, the tune of those who are rudely self-important. And that's precisely what this older son was at this juncture in the story. He was rudely self-important with his father. His life of in had bottled him up. He was in in his outlook, and that drove him to I's and me's and my's. And he was all about comparison when he offloaded his poison anger onto his daddy. For so many years I have been serving. You could translate the Greek. For so many years I have been slaving for you. Verse 29. (laughs) You could just know that he counted the years. He knew exactly how many years were so many years. For instance, 21.5 years. Were it not for a fact that he was a part owner in the ranch, maybe he would have gone to the labor board. And perhaps he wished he could go on strike. I've noticed that comparison is the national anthem of in-persons. And in-persons have their own hymn book. It's published by the I Am The Main Thing music company. And the older brother may have sung out of, those, out of that hymn book songs like, It's all about me, Jesus. It's all about me. What's in it for me, Jesus? What's in it for me? Take my life and let it be number one for all to see. And the rest... Great is my faithfulness, near myself to me. To me be the glory, great things I have done. You know, the troubling thing is that it wasn't just an older son in Jesus' old story that would sing songs like that. There are some Christians today who are singing those lyrics secretly in their hearts. But by this point, In Jesus' story, the hidden poison had become open. No longer out of sight, it became in sight. It became an erupting volcano. And in orientation has the favorite pronouns of I and me and myself. And an in outlook bottles a person up like the outraged older brother. The truth is that it is as easy for any of us to go from in to bottled up as to gain five pounds on a cruise. It happens before we know it. There are times when our in outlooks bottle us up. 
There are times when our inattitudes load us up to be volcanoes ready to erupt. Yes, I'm offended. I have every right to be. I'll get involved if nothing better comes along for me. For me, volunteering for ministry is all about my convenience. I did that too, but no one thanked me. Look at her. She's not serving. I resent that. The older son makes mention of his friends in verse 29. You have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. I find that really odd. Because in persons who are into comparison and scorekeeping and are bottled up usually don't have any friends. I mean, friends are smart. They are leery about volcanoes due to erupt. It's jolting to see that the older son's bottled up selfish anger made him unwilling even to call his younger brother brother. Instead, he managed to spit out an insult by calling him this son of yours. Verse 30. (laughs) That would be like an angry wife calling her husband, you son of my father-in-law. The older son was a mess. A mess on the inside. And by the way, as an aside, sooner or later, our outside will side with our inside. Sooner or later. And so the older sons in life had bottled him up. His in life had twisted life to suit himself. This was the ugly in of the older son. He was entirely self-centered and bottled up. He was a volcano always on the edge. He lived as though all the arrows of life came into him from others, and he was proof positive that in can bottle you up. It was like he lived inside a box of mirrors, 360 degrees of mirrors, mirrors in the box on the ceiling, mirrors on the floor of the box, and mirrors on all four walls of the box. So wherever the older brother looked, he only could see the older brother. It was a case of a huge problem, seeming to be no problem at all. Thankfully, Jesus' story shifts. It doesn't end with the in-brother, but it goes to the out, the out-living father. The father was out. He lived like all of life's arrows went out from him to others. He didn't live in a box of mirrors. He lived in a box of windows. The box of his life had a window he could see up. The floor of his life had a window he could see down. All four walls of the box of this person's life, he could see out to see others, their needs. The father was out. 
And as he looked out through the windows of the imagined box of windows that he lived in, he looked out with love. He saw himself as a more than willing dispenser of second chances, a more than willing dispenser of mercies, a more than willing dispenser of grace in love. And if in can bottle up, then out can soften up. Out can soften up. If a huge problem can seem like no problem, a forgiven problem can throw a party. A forgiven problem can throw a party. I sure want to be an out person. I don't want to be an in person. The older son, the in person, and the father, the out person, could not have been more opposite. As opposite as chalk and cheese. The older son took, the father gave. The older son kept score, the father erased the score. The older son poured out bitterness, the father gushed with grace. The older son was resentful, the father was restorative. The older son compared, the father celebrated. The older son totally missed out on the party. The father exuberantly threw the party. The father ran to the younger son. The older son ran from the father and from the party. So I state the obvious. The father in Jesus' story is a picture of God the father. The father in Jesus' story is like God. And God is like the father in Jesus' story. Oh, out. Out living is so wonderful. Outward living smooths over life's bumps like a good bowl of ice cream can after a rough day. Out can soften up and a forgiven problem can throw a party. Look at the out aspect of the Father's life in action. In verse 12, we learn God hears and answers prayers. In verse 17, God properly provides for his own. In verse 20, God is compassionate and demonstrably loving. In verses 22 and 23, God is extravagantly gracious. In verse 24, God sees what really matters, salvation or no salvation. Verse 28, God wants to fix and restore the in-person. God wants to erase eyes and me's and bottle-ups. And here's a good one. God doesn't give up on the kind of person we give up on, the obnoxious older brother type. Once we lived in a gated community, the persons who lived in the gated community were largely retired business executives and business owners who first lived in Toronto. Typically, these men were men that had far too much time on their hands in retirement, and were so used to bossing people around that it was difficult. One day, 
Shortly after July 1st, Canada Day, one of these retired CEOs pulled up to me on my driveway on his bicycle. I had never met him before, but he was quick to introduce himself to me and to tell me that everything that was successful about the Canada Day party for the community was because of him. He organized it all. He planned it all. People didn't show up, so he did their job. And on and on he went. Well, in what was not my finest moment, I said, gee, is your shoulder okay? (laughs) And he said, what? I said, I thought you might have thrown your shoulder out patting yourself on the back. Although the older son was irritating, God was not like me that day. God didn't want to get rid of the braggart like I did. God wanted to have a continuing relationship with him. God didn't boot him out. He hugged him in. Verses 31 and 32 teach us that God plans a full inheritance even for the ungrateful. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. God plans a full inheritance even for the ungrateful adopted child. Pure grace. Those verses I read just a moment ago also show us that God wants the best for both of his sons. No performance-based bonuses to be earned or denied on the cattle ranch. Pure grace. We ought not to miss it. Out can soften up a forgiven problem can throw a party. Well, getting ready to land the plane of Jesus' story, we say, what a happy ending. Mary rejoicing, the dead back to life, the lost found. But Even with its happy ending, this story of Jesus is like a surgeon's scalpel. It does open-heart surgery on us. Jesus' story is not about happiness. It's about health, spiritual health. There are three main characters to Jesus' story, a younger son, an older son, and a father. The younger son represents a repentant Christian. Down can come up. A foolish problem can be reversed. The older son represents the self-centered Christian. In can bottle up. 
a huge problem can seem like no problem at all. And the Father represents God the Father. Out can soften up. A forgiven problem can throw a party. Now I see there's something here as comforting as a beach and a breeze and a hammock. And this is what it is. The father equally loved both of his sons. And he wanted, equally wanted the best for each of them. This means that the heavenly father has no favorites in this assembly. He loves us all the same. That's what the Heavenly Father's like. He equally loves each and every one of us, and he wants his best for all of us, no exceptions. This concludes our visit to the Kosher family cattle ranch. But, oh, did you notice that the story doesn't tell us how it turned out for the older son? That's so that you won't think about what he did. That's so you will think about what you will do. It strikes me that there are at least three options for us to consider as we finish this story. Option number one you can repent. Maybe you are living in a box of swine and filth. Pigs and their food ought to make you sick. Down can come up for you. Your foolish problem can be reversed. Option number two you can get your eyes off of yourself. You can walk out of the box of mirrors that you have been living in, and you can see that there is a mighty big world outside of you. You can understand that your comparing has led you nowhere but to self-pity and to anger over God's grace you can conclude that you are not the accurate measurement of anyone or anything. You can understand that in will bottle you up and that your huge problem can seem like no problem at all. Option number three, you can strive to be like your heavenly father. You can move yourself into a box of windows and you can happily live in a box of windows when you look up, you see God in people. When you look down, you see God in people. When you look on any point on the compass on all four of the window walls of the house you want to move into, you can see God and others in all purviews, all perspectives of your life. And you can dance like no one's watching. And you can forgive like God is watching. Out can soften you up. A forgiven problem 
can throw a party. There's lots to chew on here. Let's do so through prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus' story and for all that we learn about you and about ourselves in the story. And Father, we sense that at this point in the message, we are up on the operating room table. And Father, your son's story has laid our hearts open for doctoring. Some of us need to repent to call sin, sin, and to turn from it. Help these who need this. And Father, some of us need to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to move out of the box of mirrors that we have been content to live in in favor of moving into your will. Help us to see that there is a mighty big world outside of us and that our comparing has only led us to self-pity and to anger over your grace. Help us to believe that we are not in any way the accurate measurement of anyone else or anything else. Help us to be dissatisfied with the end that bottles us up. And may we not go forward in the Christian life having a huge problem but seeming like we have no problem. Lord, some of us, all of us, should be striving to be more like you. To live in a box of windows. Seeing you and the people you've made in your image everywhere we look. Help us to dance like no one is watching, but help us to forgive like you are watching. Give us out lives that can soften up. And may we see forgiven problem that can throw a party. These things we pray. That the story that Jesus Christ is continuing to write in each of our lives would have the happiest ending possible. Amen.